It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. Dear friends, have you ever witnessed a tornado before? Now, I'm sure my friends in Saskatchewan have witnessed some very powerful tornadoes. I actually had the unfortunate experience of going through Tuscaloosa, Mississippi in the aftermath of a tornado. It was a devastating tornado, a mile wide in some instances. Here is the amazing thing. There was a neighborhood that we went through. There was not one home left. But in every instance, what was still standing was the foundation. The foundation was solid, anchored to the earth. And you see, friends, in the spiritual life, we need a foundation that will anchor us. We need a foundation that will not be moved. And the Bible tells us what that foundation is. That foundation is the sanctuary. Why is it the sanctuary? Because Jesus is in the sanctuary in heaven. The sanctuary shows us that Jesus is a very personal God, that he wants to have interaction with you. The sanctuary teaches us of the interaction of heaven and earth. And you know, the person that's been helping us understand that is Pastor Carl Satalabasides. Pastor Carl, I want to welcome you back to It Is Written Canada. And today we're going to get right into it. We have a lot to cover, but want to take just a few moments of review. Real sanctuary. Where's the real sanctuary? In heaven. In heaven. And that real sanctuary in heaven teaches us of the interaction between heaven and earth, not two separate distinct uh, Time and nature and all separated. No, no, no. It is time and space. God wanting to meet with mankind. And the sanctuary teaches us all about that interaction. We talked about your personal testimony in our last show where you talked about how your learning about the sanctuary really drew you into personal relationship with Jesus. Yes. But what we got most is if we reject the sanctuary, when we reject the sanctuary, we reject, we reject the word of God. We cannot, we must not reject the sanctuary. And so, Pastor Carl, let's talk about this. The sanctuary teaches us it has a purpose, it has a function, and it reveals some very important things. So let's get right into it, Pastor Carl. What is it that the sanctuary reveals to us? Chris, I think one of the broadest themes in all of the Bible, aside from the sanctuary, that the sanctuary reveals is that there's actually this, this conflict going on between good and evil, a conflict going on between Christ and Satan. And it really reveals this. Now, the reason for why this is so revolutionary is that if uh, your viewers will remember, and if they don't, they'll need to go back and review what we, had, what we had studied before, is that under Greek thinking, which was promulgated by the, by the little horn power, uh, ultimate reality was outside of time and space. Okay. The great controversy between Christ and Satan is uh, inseparably linked with history. 
And so one of the reasons for why this theme has never really been resurrected from the Bible is because, again, the eyeglasses that the Christian church was wearing simply did not look in this direction because ultimate reality is outside of time and space and God was outside of time and space and incompatible with time and space. And so this historical theme of a controversy going on between Christ and Satan, as we see in the scriptures and as we're about to find out, is integrally connected with the sanctuary was something that they were not looking for. Their previous eyeglasses, presuppositions, a fancy word, prevented them from seeing that. And so once those eyeglasses are removed and placed in check and say, wait a minute, God is not this timeless, spaceless God. He's able to dwell with us as the sanctuary tells us. Then we can take a good look at the sanctuary to find out what it reveals. So it really reveals this great controversy between Christ and Satan. And I want to start with the book of Isaiah, okay. chapter 14. <clears throat> We're going to begin at verse 12. All right. So Isaiah is going to rehearse a little bit of the history. Now, one of the things that's important as you're pointing this out, and, and I'm not an expert in this area, uh, Pastor Carl, but as you're talking, it, it came to mind that Greek philosophy actually introduces what they believe to be a concept uh, through mythology to kind of demonstrate some of the great controversy theme. But the, 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 the interesting thing about it is good's not really good because good can be evil. And evil's not really evil because sometimes evil is good. And it's this counterfeit mm. for what really happens. The Bible really describes where there is a real God who is good mm -hmm. and a real devil who is evil mm -hmm. who come into conflict with one another. You're going to read about that conflict here in Isaiah chapter 14. That's right, yes. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Now the first thing we need to do is just establish the fact that this setting here is really a setting in the heavenly sanctuary. And the key phrase is found in verse 13. When it says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit upon the mount of the congregation, that phrase, mount of the congregation, actually refers to that heavenly sanctuary. Now, uh, that's taken from two Hebrew words, har okay. and moed. And both of these words, if we do a word study on har, we'll find out that in Exodus 15, 17, Isaiah 66, 20, Jeremiah 26, 18, that that word har is connected with the sanctuary. Okay. If we look at the word moed, in some versions of the Bible, the sanctuary is referred to as a tent of meeting. Uh-huh. And the word for, for the word for meeting there is the word for moed. And so you can look at Exodus 29, verse 4, verse 10, verse 30, verse 32, where moed is referring to the tent of meeting. So it's, it's basically demonstrating that the two words are integrally connected with the sanctuary. So the sanctuary here reveals that there is a great controversy. And you can see it played out here with Lucifer, whose objective was, it says, I will, ex I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. We're going to get to Revelation 4 and 5 in just a minute here, which the throne is the central aspect in those two chapters that are couched in this 
heavenly sanctuary setting. And so wherever you have a throne, you have administration, you have laws. And it's as if the enemy was saying, I want to exalt my throne above the stars of God. So, Lord, your throne is insufficient. Your throne and your laws and your administrations have problems. And my throne is going to be superior to yours. And so this great controversy is started. And, and the Bible pulls the curtain aside and says, you know, he wasn't really interested in developing a better administration. He wanted to be God. Now, he didn't want to be like God in character. He wanted to exercise the, the, the privileges and prerogatives that only belong to God through aiming at his law and his administration as a major problem. So the sanctuary helps us understand. There is an angelic being by the name of Lucifer. Now, to the viewer, if you've missed our previous series called Star Wars or the series Noah the Real Story, you can go to www.itiswrittencanada.ca and there find archives of our program or you can go to youtube.com forward slash IIW Canada. Find those archives and when you find those archives, look up Noah the Real Story, look up Star Wars, The Battle Begins and you see Lucifer, this angel, who attempts to dethrone God. And so that's what we're picking up here. Lucifer exists in the sanctuary and he really, he's not interested in becoming like God because the Bible's quite clear, the character of God. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is love. Lucifer is interested in taking over. Correct. He wants all the power Correct. taken to himself. So the sanctuary helps us get a peek into the reality that's happening there uh, in the sanctuary in heaven where Lucifer actually tries to, for lack of a better word, he, he tries to run a coup yes. to take over. And, and we have some insights later in the Bible mm -hmm. that help give us a deeper look onto that coup that, uh, that the devil uh, brings about. Mm -hmm. Where do we find that? Well, I wanted to mention something in connection with this because in Isaiah 14... Uh, it says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And it sounds like a nice little, well, I've got a better way than God, than God does. If you go to Revelation 12, verse 7, the Bible actually says that there was war in heaven. And it says, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and they were kicked out. <clears throat> the interesting thing is that word for war in Revelation 12, 7 mm -hmm. is the Greek word polemos, from which we get the English word polemic. Oh, and so, uh, again, and you can't fight a successful war without a successful disinformation and deception campaign. And what Lucifer basically challenged God was with this. He didn't say, God, I'm stronger than you are. That contest would have been over before it even began. Mm -hmm. But he basically said, I'm more right than you are. And so how was God going to deal with that? Mm -hmm. Was he just going to take out his bazooka and then blow him away? and say, well, that'll teach anybody else to challenge my authority. Mm -hmm. When he challenged him and said, no, I'm more right than you are, that meant that the long-suffering of God now had to be put into effect, and God had to actually demonstrate throughout ceaseless ages who, who he actually was so that you and I could behold it and not be beguiled by the enemy's deceptions. And so this sanctuary reveals that really at the heart of it, this is an ideological warfare. 
I used to teach my students that, uh, you know, the devil, just like, just like animals, they do divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. Well, with the Greek thinking, that's exactly what the enemy does. He dichotomizes and separates things and says, this is essential and this is not essential. And, um, you know, heaven is like this and earth is like that. And there's all these dichotomies. And, and so there's an ideological warfare going on. So this is a great controversy over the character of God, over right versus wrong, or whether, over whether there's an absolute truth or not, and so forth and so on. It's really a devastating attack here that we find. You know, and what's fascinating, when you look at history, and when you look at the course of history, the devil is waging this attack and certainly is winning battles. But along the way, and we talked about this in some of our previous shows, there seems to be amongst God's people a time of restoration, a time of revival, a time where they stray away, a time of revival, a time of straying away, a time of revival. Something happens when Jesus exits the scene, when Jesus leaves this earth, returns to the sanctuary, The church seems stable for a bit, but then the devil changes his tactic. You know, see, in the the first century, in the first century, the devil attacked Christians through persecution, the persecution of Rome. And during these great persecutions, the church historian Tertullian wrote that, uh, that, that the blood of the martyrs was as seed to the church. The church exploded in growth. But the devil because he's a tactician, realized he had to change the game up a little bit. Mm -hmm. He had to distract people. And one of the distractions is you have to turn people away from the sanctuary. You have to crush the sanctuary underfoot Mm -hmm. because that's what establishes absolute truth. Yes. And so we've seen already in in Daniel 8 that he crushes, he, he, he trampled the sanctuary underfoot. And you've used a word, I like it so much, that through the little horn power, he eclipses mm-hmm. the light shining forth from the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and he, he removes this. Mm-hmm. What else is happening there, Pastor Carl? Yeah, I want to go to Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Okay. Because in Isaiah, we read about the fact that the enemy, he said, I want to exalt my throne above the stars of God. Yes. In, in Ezekiel, I just, I'll just kind of allude to it for the sake of time here. In Ezekiel 28, verse 14, he's the anointed cherub. Yes. The enemy of We're souls. speaking of Lucifer, uh, of Lucifer who, correct. who eventually becomes Satan. He was the anointed cherub. Yes, and he is there in the midst of the stones of fire, it mm-hmm. says. So this phrase, in the midst of the stones of fire, you also find that in Ezekiel 1, verses 4 and 5, to refer to the living creatures that are right around the throne and the presence of God. So he's making his accusations from the very presence of God there in that sanctuary. When we get to Revelation chapters 4 and 5, the throne is mentioned about 17 times. Wow. Just in those two chapters. I mean, just let's take a cursory glance here. Yes. And I want you to notice who is conspicuously absent this time. Okay. From the midst of the throne. All right. So in Revelation chapter 4, verse 2, it says, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat upon the throne. In verse 4, and round about the throne were four and 20 uh, seats and upon the seats I saw four and 20 elders sitting. Uh, And it it continues to go on, clothed in white raiment and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Verse 5, out of the throne proceeds lightnings and thunderings and voices. 
And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Verse 6, before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal in the midst of the throne. Mm-hmm. And round about the throne were four beasts or living creatures full of eyes before and behind. And there are many other references that talk about, or uh, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, it also talks about being in the midst of the throne. Yes. And it finally introduces the Lamb of God. So in chapter 4, you have this scene of, it's basically the Father seating on, seating on the throne. In Revelation chapter 5, there's a strong uh, angel who says, who's worthy to open the book and to loose the seals that, that he has in his hand? Right. And he look, John looks in every direction. He can't find anyone. And finally, one, someone says, hey, there's the Lamb of God. In verse 6, it says, I'm beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. The one who is conspicuously absent here is the one who made all those charges in the beginning who said, I'm going to exalt my throne above the stars of God, or in Ezekiel 28, who was in the midst of the stones of fire as the anointing cherub. In other words, as a result of the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he has overcome the enemy, and now he is not there. He's completely vanquished his arguments through his sacrifice. And this is powerful imagery here because what it's demonstrating to us, because, you know, the Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. And, and you know, something I, I've talked about when I talk about the sanctuary and it is so often we, we, we play this scene of judgment that God is upon the throne doing all he can to keep us out of heaven. The sanctuary actually teaches us first that it's actually Jesus who is the judge. Hmm. Second, that it's actually Jesus who is our advocate, the one who is on our behalf. And then third, Jesus is the one who has paid the penalty, paid the price. Mm -hmm. But what's fascinating is the devil is even absent. So his accusations actually don't even have a place in the sanctuary any longer. This is powerful, powerful imagery as Satan is absent from the sanctuary. The sanctuary continues to teach us about this interaction of heaven and earth and that God is not doing everything he can to keep us out of heaven, but rather God is doing everything because the very foundation of his throne, the sanctuary <laughs> upon which where his throne sits is fundamentally operating on the principle of connecting heaven and earth. Correct, yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about that. We, we get the picture of the great controversy. We get a picture of good versus evil. So let's be done talking about the evil one. All right. And let's move to the presence of God because yes. this is where the sanctuary yes. really draws out some really powerful imagery and some very powerful promises of hope for us. Talk to me about the presence of God in the sanctuary. Very good. Um, actually, Chris, I want to begin if we can go back to Exodus 3. Okay. Let's begin there, and we're going to connect Moses' experience with God at the burning bush later with the sanctuaries. But let's go there first. So Exodus 3, and we can begin with, we can begin with verse 1. All right. As we seek to talk about the presence of God, something else that the sanctuary reveals. And, and the reason that the presence of God is so important as we're turning to Exodus 3 Pastor Carl, is 
we want to experience the presence of God. Correct. And so when we talked about the presence of God, we're not talking about some kind of mystical experience. We're talking about a genuine personal encounter with God. Absolutely. So let's talk about this. Okay. Now Moses uh, kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. I want to stop just there for a minute. It's important to note that when Moses first saw the burning bush, he didn't automatically equate that with the presence of God. Okay. So he sees this out of the ordinary sight, something that doesn't happen all the time. And, you know, that just alerts me, Chris, that you and I have to be alert to when God is trying to make an entrance into our lives. And sometimes we get so caught up in the things of the world that we, we, don't, we don't see when he's trying to catch our attention. That's right. And so Moses was alert here, and he said, well, you know, this is an extraordinary sight. I need to go check it out. What he didn't do was, hey, he sees the burning bush. All of a sudden, he starts to take off his shoes and, you know, and pretends like he's on holy ground. That's right. He didn't do that. It was only when God called to him out of the midst of the bush, it was only when he heard the voice of God and the word of God that he automatically realized that he was in the presence of God at okay. that point. All right. So the presence of God comes to us. It is revealed to us through his word. And that is the method that God uses in order to speak to us. And this foundation is very important. As Moses and God continue to talk on, Moses is wondering, you know, God tells him to go rescue the Israelites. Well, what's your name? You know, who am I going to tell them is sending, is sending me? And God says in verse 14, uh, I am that I am, he said. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of ja Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. So the presence of God is not to be equated with the material creation, not with the bush itself but with the words of God that were spoken to Moses, that was the indicator that Moses was actually in his presence. That place isn't holy right now. God's presence, he, didn't, he, didn't choose, he doesn't choose to reveal himself that way. He's actually in the, in, in the heavenly sanctuary at this time. But uh, so that's the name of God. That's the presence of God. God wanted to meet the Israelites in a certain location. Yes. Now, God is omnipresent. Okay, a difficult concept to grasp, <laughs> admittedly. <laughs> and, and just to help everybody, omnipresent means God is, can be everywhere yeah, at, at the, the same, same time. time. Yes, okay. Yeah, so not just everywhere, but everywhere at the same time. Right. But just because God is omnipresent doesn't mean that he reveals his presence. Let me give you just a quick illustration of that. Like take the Garden, uh, the garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. God is omnipresent, but he told them that he would not be at the, uh, the, the forbidden fruit. He says, uh, you know, don't, don't go near that tree. He was not going to be there. In light of the great controversy, God even allows the, the enemy in order to make his case. 
Yes. And so, as, as Eve ventured on that ground, it was the enemy that occupied that space. Yes. And his presence began to speak to her. So God basically says that he's not going to manifest himself in every location, even, even though he's omnipresent. And he told the children of Israel, this is in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5, that you are to meet me in this place. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, he said the same thing. In 1 Kings chapter 8, as Solomon was dedicating the temple, just to mention a few texts there, uh, he said that he was going to place his name there. 1 Kings 8, 16. Since the day that I brought forth my people Israel out of Egypt, I chose no city of all the tribes to build a house that my name might be there, but I chose David to be over my people Israel. Verse 17, verse 18, verse 19, verse 20, verse 21, he says, I'm putting my name there. That meant that he was going to reveal himself there because his name is associated with his presence. And this is what made the sin of Jeroboam so great. Yes. Is that uh, God was now confused with all of creation. So allegedly the presence of God is now revealing himself everywhere. But that's the counterfeit. God said, yes, I'm omnipresent, but I'm going to reveal myself here. If you want to have a relationship with me, you're going to meet me here. Okay. And this becomes so important because we see this as we studied Jeroboam that God's not in Dan and Bethel. He's not in the golden calf. He's not in the golden calf of the Exodus. Correct. Although God is omnipresent, he is not everywhere. What happens, unfortunately, is we, God he is. He doesn't reveal himself. He doesn't reveal yes. himself everywhere. Unfortunately, what happens is, is that people culturally condition where they believe God will reveal himself. Correct. And what is essential for us to understand, and it's, it's really unbelievable, we only have about a minute left, is that God doesn't reveal himself in the creation itself. It's he, not synonymous with himself, yes. He reveals himself through his word. And we must never lose sight of that. The sanctuary demonstrates that God resides in the sanctuary, revealing himself through his word. Correct. Pastor Carl, will you pray for us as we end today? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, you want to have a relationship with us. And that happens through your word. And we pray that we would study your word each and every day, that you would speak to our minds and to our hearts. May you bless us, lead us, and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this series of programs and our offer today is to receive the DVD of this series. If you'd like this DVD that you can watch these episodes again or share them with your friends, here's the information you need to receive today's offer. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca. That's www.itiswrittencanada.ca. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Call anytime. Lines are open 24 hours daily. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario. L1H 7V4. Dear friends, the God of heaven desires a personal relationship with you. 
I invite you to go to our website, www.itiswrittencanada.ca. There you'll find resources to help you deepen that relationship with Jesus, have a personal encounter with him in his word. Pastor Carl, I thank you so much for being with us once again to see the desire of God's heart in the sanctuary. It's been great to be with you, Chris. Friend, I hope that through the program today, you found Jesus Christ. Please join us again next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.